0: Um, legalization of cannabis and things we need to consider in our workplaces. Uh, Amy is an experienced labor and employment law attorney and the director of legal and compliance services with MEA, the Mid-Atlantic Employers Association. So Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. And maybe we could start with you sharing a little bit more about you and the work you do.
1: Thank you, Sherry. So happy to be joining you today for this podcast. Um, So I've been a practicing labor and employment attorney for over 25 years. My entire career has been representing management or employers, uh, largely in litigation for many, many years with large law firms. Um, But for the past three years, I've been with MEA, um, mostly providing counseling and training services for our members.
0: What a cool association and a really unique role that you have with them. So I'm glad you were able to jump on with me today. Um, So we're talking about legalization. So what changes have you seen in the last five years when it comes to legalization of cannabis, both for recreational and medical use?
1: Well, the last five years, we've seen a lot in this area of the law. And that's an understatement, right? Um, We went from a situation where marijuana was illegal under federal law, still is, and I know we'll talk more about that, um, to many, many states legalizing either for medicinal use and or recreational use. So at last count, we had 36 states plus the District of Columbia and the territories of Guam, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands have legalized marijuana for medicinal use, And then uh, 16 states plus the District of Columbia have legalized marijuana for recreational use. And that's changing almost daily. Um, Just in the last six months, I know in in my part of the country, I'm in the Northeast, um, we have seen New Jersey voters vote to legalize recreational marijuana. We've seen New York Move to legalize recreational marijuana. So it, this is rapidly changing, um, and it's it's a really interesting, if extremely frustrating, area of the law for employers.
0: I can imagine. Uh, I think it's important to draw this um, distinction. So maybe you could help elaborate a little bit more on the difference between legalization and decriminalization.
1: Sure. So legalization means removing the legal prohibitions um, around marijuana or any substance, right? Um, whereas decriminalization is removing the criminal sanctions that might be associated with, um, with the use of marijuana. So by legalizing marijuana, governments are making it available, generally speaking, to adults, um, either for uh, medicinal or recreational use. And I think it's really helpful to think about marijuana the way we think about alcohol and maybe the the way we think about a prescription drug like opioids. So um, just because marijuana is legal for medicinal purposes doesn't mean that there's a free-for-all, right? Just like with opioids, we don't expect people to take pills or smoke a joint and get in a car or come to work and be impaired. Similarly with alcohol, even though it's legal, um, it doesn't mean that we expect people to have a, a, a flask in their Drawer at work, right? Or to take a shot and then get behind the wheel of a car. So I think that sometimes those comparisons, while not perfect, can be helpful to people and to employers to think about as they think about what's happening in the world of marijuana.
0: It's a really interesting uh, analogy to be able to use to kind of just center in some of the other things we're going to talk about. I'm curious if there's any uh, laws that you've seen that are changing that actually are covering employees that we need to be concerned about when we start to talk about, you know policies that we need to deliver or think about creating. sure. and it's it's hard to
1: generalize because with so many states passing their own laws, everyone's a little bit different. But we can make some generalizations. Um, for example, Generally speaking, to have uh, access to medical marijuana, there has to be some sort of a, an authorization from a healthcare provider. Most commonly, what I've seen are, is the medical marijuana card. And that's what we use. I, I have practiced over the course of my career mostly in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And the, in both of those states, we have medical marijuana cards. So the healthcare provider makes a determination that an individual has a, uh, a medical condition that warrants marijuana use or would benefit from marijuana use, and the healthcare provider provides the authorization card. And my understanding is that many, many states do something similar to the authorization card. And what becomes important about the authorization card is we can't, under most state laws, we can't, as an employer, simply discriminate against someone for having the card. And what I has I've had so many phone calls with so many employers that say, "Okay, I'm just about to hire someone." And when we made the offer and we told them they had to take a drug test, the f- told us was, "I've got a mar- medical marijuana card and I wanted you to be aware of that." At that point as an employer, okay, we have information, maybe more information than we wanted, but we have information. And we can't simply act on that information and make a decision to withdraw the employment offer simply because the person has a medical marijuana card. Or similarly, if we have a a current employee and they approach us at some point and say, hey, I just wanted you to know I have a medical marijuana card, we can't automatically fire them just for having the medical marijuana card. Again, if we think about it a little bit like alcohol, Um, it can be helpful as we make make the analogy. So um, if if you see an employee um, drinking at a company event, for example, you know you don't want them to get behind the wheel of a car, but it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to terminate their employment. They're doing something that they're otherwise legally able to do. So you want to be careful about simply taking action against someone because they've told you that they do something that they're otherwise legally able to do. Then, of course, we get to the second step. I know we're going to talk about more, which is employment t- uh, drug testing.
0: Yeah, it, definitely. I wanted to dive into that a little bit. But I did want to ask you, is there a variance between what you just shared if you have federal contracts? Does that change at all? Yeah. So the the federal
1: piece of this is is fascinating. So... Um, and I always, when I ever say, I say fascinating in the employment law context, I mean fascinating for employment attorneys, probably not for the average person. But um, so the part of this is so interesting is that um, marijuana remains a Schedule One substance under the Controlled Substances Act. And what does that mean? It means it's not legal, Right. And there was actually a Supreme Court case back in 2005 that ruled that the um, the CSA is a valid exercise of Congress's power. So that Schedule 1, uh under the Control Substance Act, Substances Act is not going away anytime soon unless Congress takes some action or the Biden administration takes some action. And it's been very interesting. And I, we see it with a lot of changes in administrations, especially in the area of employment law. Um, when you have a, a, a Democratic administration in the White House, the pendulum swings one way. You have a Republican administration in the White House, the, the pendulum swings the other way. And it just it keeps swinging back and forth. And that's what's happening right now a little bit around around marijuana. Right. So this remains illegal under federal law. You might remember back in about 2013, under President Obama, the Department of Justice um, put out a guidance that they were going to limit prosecution for marijuana offenses, particularly low-level offenses, small-scale offenses, where it was pretty clear that people were just in possession for their own use. Then President Obama leaves office of a Republican administration under President Trump. um, And that DOJ rescinds that guidance. Okay, And so now we're waiting to see what's going to happen under the Biden administration. We've heard um, or we've been told that President Biden favors legalization of marijuana or at least decriminalization of marijuana under federal law. But he's got his hands full with a couple of other things right now. So I don't know that that's going to happen anytime soon. But my guess is it's somewhere on the first two year agenda for the Biden administration. So that's a very long answer to your question. But so, yes, if you have a federal contract, um, you are still bound by federal law. Now, what's really interesting um, about federal law in this area is we're guided by the Drug Free Workplace Act. And I think a lot of employers, And let me back up for a second. As a federal contractor, you sign, quite literally, a federal contract. And it's lots and lots of pages of small print. And you're agreeing to do lots and lots of things. And one of the things you're agreeing to do is to comply with this Drug-Free Workplace Act. And I think a lot of federal contractors think that means I have to drug test. Not technically true. Um, You do have to have policies against drug use in the workplace. You do need to um, try to control for drug use in the workplace. You're not absolutely required to drug test. So it it does, it can become kind of interesting um, as to how you want to approach marijuana, THC, as a federal contractor.
0: As you think about kind of the next step to this when it comes to creating policy around um, drug and alcohol use in your organization's um, so my question, I think is twofold, is one, how should we be thinking about those policies? What are things we need to consider? And then B, I guess, if you have a policy in place right now where you have a very stringent, um, you know, no tolerance or you have drug testing as part of your process, how does that look? How do we have to think about those things as well? Well, I, I think there's a few pieces that go into this thought process. One might be,
1: what part of the country are you in? How prevalent um, is either recreational or medicinal use of marijuana? Um, We have, so we're an employer's association based in the mid-Atlantic region. We have sister associations throughout the country. And I've thrown this question out to some of my sister associations saying, how are your members dealing with the marijuana situation? And for example, we have a a sister association in the Northwest who said, a lot of uh, our members are... Abandoning THC, at least in pre-employment drug testing, because if otherwise they would never get anyone who passed the drug test. They would have no employees. So that's that's the first thought. Where are you? How prevalent is the use of marijuana? How is that going to impact your applicant pool? And we know right now, even with high unemployment, um, it's hard to find employees in the current uh, economy. So that's the first thing I would think about. But the second thing I would think about is what kind of job are you hiring for? If I run a call center, how concerned am I if my employee might have THC in their in their system when they're coming to work for me? Probably less so than I am if I'm hiring a forklift driver, right? So I think that's the next thing to think about. How safety sensitive is the position that you're looking at? And then... At what point in the employment relationship might I want to test? And this is a good time to talk about THC. That's the uh, active component in, in marijuana that gives that high feeling. One of the challenges behind THC is that it's not like alcohol or some other drugs that go through the system and leave the system very quickly. THC lingers in the system. And that's it's been one of the arguments for a long time about legalization. How are we going to know if people are driving while impaired or people are coming to work while impaired if we don't have a good test that tells us? Because, and I'm not a medical expert, but based on the medical experts that I've talked to, um, it's very hard to tell from a blood or urine test um, if someone has used THC this morning, at lunchtime, or last night. So that's one of the one of the great challenges. So you as an employer need to decide, when am I going to test in the employment relationship? So like I said, if, if I'm hiring for a position that is not safety sensitive, it may very well be that I take THC off my panel for pre-employment hiring because there's very little risk in doing that. But what about once the person is working for me? do I still want to have an avenue to test if I'm concerned that they might be coming to work impaired? And I would say in most cases, yes, you do. Because even if it's not a safety sensitive position, even if it is, to use the call center example again, even if it is that, I don't want someone coming to work who might not be doing their best job because they're impaired by some substance. So it is advisable to have um, a reasonable suspicion component to your drug testing policy, many employers also have mandatory testing after an accident, usually an accident that causes either bodily injury or damage to property. Um, and in those cases, then you'll be testing um, at a time where it it will be helpful to have that information and might allow you to make an employment decision. So, for example. With regard to reasonable suspicion, and this is actually something kind of interesting that's just came down the pike in New Jersey. New Jersey has just uh, legalized recreational marijuana. Part of their statute um, is going to require training for supervisors to recognize uh, impairment in the workplace. And certainly at MEA, we've always recommended you put all your supervisors and managers through something called reasonable suspicion testing. And that's, that's what New Jersey is going to do, but they're going to standardize the testing, which should be very easy because what you really want as an employer, you know, we all through our own experiences think we know what impairment looks like, but you want your, your supervisors to have some training around that. And so in an ideal situation, if you have an employee who's come to work, appears that they may be impaired, whether it's Um, they have trouble with their gait or with their movement or with their balance, or they're slurring their speech, or they seem overly sleepy or whatever it might be, ideally, you've got two supervisors who've been trained, who can observe the individual and make a decision as to whether or not they think that individual is impaired, at which point the individual would be sent for drug testing. And like I said, because of the challenges of testing around THC, if you have observation of impairment plus your positive test, you as an employer are going to be in a much better situation to terminate that employment than you would be if you only had one of those two things.
0: And I think it, it goes back to your example of alcohol using the same, you know, ideology is, you know, if you're observing these behaviors and then you test, because um, I think that's definitely something you do have to keep in mind, the difference the differences in testing and what you actually are getting from that test. And I, I really liked your example of uh, thinking about the state that you're in and your employment pool and, and those kinds of things. You know, going back a little bit to medical use, how does that play into things like ADA accommodations? If you have somebody who can uh, utilize medical use, doesn't seem impaired, How does that play out if you have, let's say, a no tolerance policy in your organization? So let's start with saying that it's not actually ADA that applies.
1: ADA is Americans with Disabilities Act. That's a federal law. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. So we're we're not talking about ADA. We're talking about the state equivalent of ADA. Every state has an anti discrimination statute. Every state makes it illegal to discriminate against someone on the basis of disability. And so, largely speaking. Um, these cases are going to wind their way through state courts rather than federal courts. Some of them end up in federal court, but a lot of times they're going to end up, they're going to be in state court. So that that's the first kind of interesting thing. Unless or until marijuana becomes illegal under federal law, this is mostly a state law issue. Um, most states have said simply having that medical marijuana card is not a disability. Makes sense, right? Just because I hold a prescription for some sort of drug that alone does not make me disabled. It's the underlying condition. It's the thing for which I have the prescription. And in the cases of marijuana, marijuana can be subscribed, um, prescribed for a lot of different things. It can be from mental health issues like anxiety, to cancer, um, to MS. Um, lots and lots of different types of conditions um, warrant the use of medical marijuana. So as an employer, Once we know that the employee has a medical marijuana card, we probably know or we have reason to believe that the individual is somehow disabled under state law and that there might be a situation where reasonable accommodation is required. What's been argued in most of the cases that have gone through the court system is that as an employer, I am required to accommodate a positive test for THC. It's an interesting theory. Right. Um, and some courts have agreed um, Now, these are all these cases are winding their way through various court systems. Um, and a lot of them, there have been decisions at preliminary levels. Um, very few have gone through trial and verdict. Um, so we still wait for those things, because what happens a lot of times is you file a, a lawsuit there is some initial wrangling in the court system. The court goes one way or another, then the case settles. We have not really seen many of these go through to trial. So I think that will be interesting too, to see where that ends up. Um, but as far as the cases that have been decided so far, some of them fall to the employer, some of them fall to the employee. There is no definitive way that these are going. So it is interesting to watch um, as an employer. So, And then employers need to make decisions. How how conservative or how aggressive do I want to be on this topic? Um, do I want to be, do I want to risk being sort of the poster child for the lawsuit? So it's, it is interesting. And then a lot of time, but a lot of times you might be weighing the legal risk against the sa- a potential safety risk. And that's, you know, that's what we talk about all the time as employment lawyers is where are you weighing your risk? Um, and so, and that the way that's going to turn out is going to be different for every employer.
0: It leads right into my next question that I kind of had in in mind is around litigation that employers should be watching when it comes to things like terminating and employment practices all related to cannabis.
1: so there are a bunch of cases, as I said, winding their ways through various systems. Um, I was trying to compile a nice list, but I, I wasn't able to to put one really together. I know we've been watching some here in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Um, but like I said, what happens a lot of times is at the beginning of litigation, a court makes a decision on something very preliminary, and then a lot of times those cases end up settling. So part of it is which employer wants to be, as I said, the poster child. Who wants to take this all the way through the system and spend potentially you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that? And I think that's going to end up being a large employer. It's not going to be um, a lot of the smaller to mid-sized employers that we deal with at MEA. And I wouldn't advise them to be that poster child, right? Um, leave that to the big boys, as I say.
0: I love that. Um, okay, so as we wrap up, what are some, you know, couple, two, three, five takeaways for employers to think about as they're, you know, navigating, you know, the legalization and in some scenarios decriminalization of of cannabis, and um, they're concerned about compliance. What are some things that you know you have as your top couple things that that really people should walk away with?
1: First of all, be informed about what's going on in your state. Have have your legislature legalized marijuana for medical use, uh, recreational use, or both? With regard to medical use, what's the process that someone has to go through for medical use? Is there a card involved? And what does the law say as far as discriminating against someone for simply holding a card? And once you know that, you can be informed about crafting your policy. And then what you really want to do when you lay out a policy is obviously give the employer's position on drug use. That's not something that's allowed in the workplace. Because remember, just because you're allowed to to drink legally or smoke marijuana legally, again, doesn't mean you can have it in your desk. Doesn't mean you can go out to to your car at lunch and use it and come back to work. Um, So you really need to think about what's the process that you want to use as an employer with regard to testing do I want to do pre-employment testing? Do I want to use reasonable suspicion or post-accident drug testing? If I do, I need to have those in my policies. And then if you do want to test, um, especially for reasonable suspicion, what are you going to do to make sure that your supervisors and managers are educated so that they can notice and detect the signs and symptoms um, of drug use among your employees? And overall, I would say, sort of the last point is to be flexible. This is an ever-changing area of the law. Um, I have talked to many, many employers who have felt very strongly that we are never going to have an employee in our workforce who ever touches marijuana. Um, And I think a lot of those employers need to realize that times really have changed uh, and they need to be a little bit more flexible with their approach.
0: I appreciate the flexibility. We talk a lot about, um, this departure from one size fits all to one size fits one, and really being more curious about things. Um, one thing that we didn't touch base on is this might change how you think about benefits too, in what services and um, you know things you have built into your EAP. If somebody says, "Hey, I need help," you know, as you're going down this road and thinking through the different policies you need to put in place. So, uh, Amy, this was a great discussion. I think this is one that will continue to evolve, like you said during administrations and, and things change. So I'm sure this will be a topic in the, the next 12 months that will be different as well. So uh, I appreciate your time. If somebody wants to get in touch with you direct and um, find out a little bit more about you, how do they do that?
1: So our website is meainfo.org. Uh, people can feel free to email me directly. It's amcandrew.org. So A-M-C-A-N-D-R-E-W at meainfo.org. Happy to talk to you.
0: Wonderful. Thanks, Amy. All right. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Palocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today so you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at pctytalks at paylocity.com.